This is Pastor to Pastor, a podcast of InnoBTS and Level College. Pastor to Pastor is here to help you lay a biblical foundation for your ministry. Well, hello, and welcome back to our Pastor to Pastor podcast. I'm here, as always, with uh, Adam Hughes. And uh, Adam, I know uh, last time in our podcast, we talked about the issue of church discipline. We've been this semester thinking over this issue of what is the church, and that led us to the topic of church discipline. Uh, So we wanted to follow up with another topic related to that, um, which is uh, maintaining the unity of the church. Now, actually, in a sense, church discipline helps us maintain the unity of the church. Uh, But at our church, we often talk about how we're pursuing unity and joy in Christ our King. So one of the things that the church should be is unified. So I think every uh, a lot of us probably have experiences with fights in the church and arguments and disagreements and all manner of different things. So I thought we would talk about today, if the Church Discipline podcast says we must divide over certain things, uh, actually this podcast will maybe help us to think about how we don't have to divide over everything. Like there's actually things that shouldn't divide us uh, and things that um, actually should, should bring us unity even though we have a diversity of of opinion in the church. So as we think about that, one thought that just came to my mind was this issue of, are we dealing with a sin issue or a preference issue, right? So sometimes with sin issues, we're dealing with church discipline, but sometimes with preference issues, uh, we're just dealing with things we should sort of agree to disagree on. So how do you think are some ways that we can think through uh, this issue of, or are we dealing with sin or preference? What are some of the biblical texts uh, that we might need to wrestle with there? Yeah, I, and that's a. This is a really good question. I, I think it's something worth delving into. I, first of all, I'll just frame it like this for a moment. I, I think for those of us that are those that have been listening to us, probably have already figured out figured out you and I have a very high view of God's word, and we have a very high view of the church, and all of those things, and we've not hidden that. And so perhaps maybe what they would hear is they would say, well. Leading up to this podcast, people think, well, Charlie and Adam really have a very, very, very narrow people, narrow, narrow, narrow uh, scope of people that could actually be be a member of a church <laughs> with them, or a church they were pastoring, or a church they were part of. And I guess to some extent that is true, right? And we have spent a lot of time this semester and in this session of podcasts saying, look, in some ways, who is in the church is a very narrow thing, but within that, you and I aren't saying that there are there are tertiary issues or secondary issues or some things that maybe people would interpret differently that doesn't immediately put somebody out. Mm -hmm. And maybe we've not communicated that enough, and I think it's important to do that. In some ways, I think our our families that, that we're born into or that we're married into, in other words, our nuclear family, maybe this is a good picture of this. Um, now, to some extent, right, my kids that live under my home, they are limited in kind of the, the opinions and preferences they can express. But I would tell you, even with my family home, with me being the dad, does everyone on every issue think and say exactly the same thing I do about everything? Well, of course they don't. Well, does that mean as soon as they say something that's against what the you know what the the, the standard formal position is, they're out? You know, they're out of there. Well, of course that's not how we operate. So why would we operate that way within the church? Certainly, if it's not something that's dangerous or sinful and all of those things. And I think that's what you're getting at here. So there is. And I think it's a distinction in Scripture. There is a distinction between, look, here are these sins that, that must be dealt with in the camp, right, that, that must be dealt with amongst the people of God. But then also there are 
individuals who make up the body that Christ has redeemed into the body that have some different perspectives. Maybe even, can I use the word convictions Mm -hmm. on some things, but those convictions aren't necessarily driven from objective places in Scripture that says, you must also have this conviction as well. You ask about some passages. Maybe the ones that come to mind the most readily to me, maybe they're the most ready example, and there's probably better ones, but I think about, I think we talked about this on on the Discipline podcast, there is the 1 Corinthians 5 issue, which is clearly a sin, it's a public sin, it's an ongoing sin, and within the same book, just three chapters later, there's a passage, Charlie, like 1 Corinthians 8, that talks about meat sacrifice to idols and what what Paul clearly says there I think he's saying look it, this is a this is a loving your brother issue but it's not a sin issue yeah. it's not a god says no matter of fact he says idols are really nothing at all so you're eating you're eating things that really haven't been sacrificed to anything at all so it's not a sin issue it's more of a preference issue and a loving my brother issue so when you talk about passages those two, because they're so closely related together and in the same book of the Bible, those come to my mind. So as we were talking beforehand, uh, uh, we were actually talking about two different categories of sin versus preferences. But even as you talk, I I think you're making an argument for actually maybe three different categories. So we might have preferences, convictions, and sins then, right? So ironically enough, from my experience, and, and maybe yours is a little bit different, a lot of fights in the church tend to be over preference issues, Absolutely. right? So I would put, you know, things like musical style or the aesthetics of the building. Charlie, or, for that matter, it could, might even be, maybe this isn't the issue so much anymore, but it used to when I first started pastoring, it was translation of the Bible preference. Yeah, and certainly in some contexts, that's going to be the case too. So, so we have lots of different preferences, and I think that we're making the argument that minimally speaking, We have lots of room to have different preferences, and I think we should even pursue unity among our preferences. You were talking about your kids, and I don't know. It sounds like you maybe don't make your kids root for Arkansas. I don't know. Maybe that's not one of They come to that right decision on their own, Charlie. They all just come to that decision on their own. Fair enough. But one of the things even I I noticed is, and and some people say I take things too far, and maybe I do, but even like uh, if you're, I I pastor in an area where there's a lot of like college allegiances, right? So even on Sundays, you'd have your Mississippi State shirt, your Alabama shirt, your LSU shirt, all these different sorts of things. And I'm not saying it's a sin to wear any of those shirts, but I'd actually tell my kids, you're not allowed to wear clothes from the sports teams <laughs> that you root for. Uh, just because, you know, I, I didn't even, I, I wanted it to be a time that builds up where we're not focusing on things that we prefer that are different, but we're actually united. And you could say that's too far, and maybe it was, but I think the point is that as a church, we're going to have all manner of different preferences about all kinds of different things. But a lot of, uh, even thinking of like Philippians 2 here, look not to your own interests, but consider the other interests of others. Consider others as more important than yourselves, that part of what being a church is about is about putting your preferences aside and not majoring on those things, but pursuing unity and not fighting over preferences. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I, th- this What I'm about to say may sound a little bit cliche-ish. Is that a word? I don't know if it is or not, but it's going to sound a little bit like a cliche, and it seems like I'm just going back to what we said, and maybe I'm not making any specific application here. But nonetheless, I think it's an important point to make. We went a, we, we, we spent a lot of time in this session of podcasts starting by saying, what does the Bible say about the people of God? Mm-hmm. What 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 
what establishes the church, who establishes the church, what is the church, and then whose is the church. And we've put a lot of emphasis on the, on the work of God, the doing of God, the redemption of God, and certainly that being in Christ and how it is Christ. And even the victory that we believe that we ultimately have is because Christ is victorious. So I think one of the starting places, if we don't have this, we'll never get this unity issue right. We have to remember that um, who am I or what am I as a part of the church? And then as a part of that body, whose am mm-hmm. I? And remembering, and I know this sounds really simplistic and we ought all say we know it, I'm not Christ. Mm-hmm. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Lord or the head of the church. I might, and a lot of our listeners are under shepherds of Christ, but we're not even the ultimate shepherd. And so just remembering, yes, as a pastor, it's my job to get it right and get the word right. But as people, and even as the pastor sometimes, you don't have the franchise on what is the right preference in every single scenario. And approaching it that way and understanding that there are differences, I think, goes a long way to foster this idea of unity. When we remember who we are in light of who he is and whose we are, I I know that's cliche, Charlie, but I do think it matters in this conversation. Well, and I I think it's to say that the job of a pastor is not to make the church like you. They're only to become like you insofar as you're pursuing Christ, right? So Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. And the point is, our job is not to make the church our church or to make the church look like us or to make the church think all the same things we think. Our job is to pursue Christ and then help the church become more like Christ. And that's a sobering reality as a pastor to realize sometimes I have preferences that I need to just get over and, and, and not right. pursue, not press in on, because it is a matter of preference. I, I think we could talk about the preference thing all day. Well, and I, if you would, just two more things just sure. very quickly, because I know we do need to move on. But I was thinking about a couple things that I think will help sometimes even people that are are passionately on different sides of a, of a preference issue. Several years ago, when when my wife and I were, I wasn't pastoring at the time, and so we began to think of we began to think of what church are we going to go to and mm-hmm. join. And, and we had talked about this and thought about this before, but, Charlie, we actually tried to make a list of what are the non-negotiables mm-hmm. versus preferences. And, hey, if I can find a church that also meets my preferences, that may or may not be good. Sometimes it's not good, yeah. but it may or may not be good. But what we said is, hey, what are these non-negotiables? And let's try to major in that. Because if you start evaluating churches, and I know some of what we're not talking about here, but even the unity of church based on that, man, you can get so far down that slide you can never get back. And what we found, and I'll say this and then I'll say the other one really quickly as well, what we found is that list of, of non-negotiables right they they became fewer and fewer but mm-hmm. they did become stronger and stronger right. right so i say this all the time my list of non non negotiables are fewer but they have become a whole lot more non negotiable mm-hmm. so i think to some extent even when we're thinking about church unity and we we talked about a church covenant before and all the ways it could help maybe one way a church covenant can help or you know a statement of faith of something maybe that is what lays out here are the non-negotiables, and we're not going to argue over this. We're, we're, we're going, we have to. If you're going to be here, you have to be united here. But with everything else, there's some preferences, and there can be some unity within that diversity. The other thing I was going to say about preferences, I think sometimes, Charlie, we're actually afraid to passionately 
yet graciously, calmly, and maybe I'm the worst person to talk about that, to actually be able to talk through our differences, knowing that whatever conclusions we come to, if it's not a first-tier issue, we're not going to let it divide. Mm -hmm. So I think we've we've become less inclined to talk with one another. Even our brothers and sisters may be in the same church. We talk at one another. You know, we talk to one another. I don't know that we talk with one another. And I think this preference versus sin thing, sometimes just being willing to engage in a conversation. I'm passionate. I'm going to present my argument, but I'm also going to listen. And I'm I'm actually going to try to hear what you're saying. And then at the end of the day, if we still don't agree on it, it's okay because I know where you're coming from and we can still be unified in it because we agree on the main things. Yeah, I think that's true. I think the other thing that stands out to me is, is a lot of churches, if you're doing, if you're trying to get people to come to your church based on their preferences, which quite frankly has been a lot of how church, we've done church, yeah, it's church been growth. A lot of how yeah. we've done this over the last several decades is we appeal to a certain style of music or, you know, whatever it is, where we're basically our whole method of church growth is you're going to fit right in here and we've got a group just like you that's exactly like you, that sort of thing, right? It's hard to get people in, just, I, mean, I hate to keep going back to music, it's hard to get people in with a certain style of music and then say, now you need to die to yourself and not care about the style of music. Right. right? So, so I think even that's a challenge for pastors and even leading in such a way where you make it clear to people, you're not leading in such a way to make this church your preference church, right? You're not leading in such a way to just do everything that's the way you want to do it, not out of biblical conviction, but out of preference. Um, you're dying to yourself as well. And I think that's where a lot of churches go awry sometimes is they build everything off of preferences of people. Well, that's not really enough to unite us for lots of different reasons, really. Preferences change. Matter of fact, the interesting thing, it's probably enough to divide us, but it's never enough to to, to unite us. Yeah, no, that's fair. So I think there's even a word for pastors there over what what we... you know, build the church around, for lack of a better term. If we're trying to build unity based on people's preferences, it's going to be a fleeting unity. Absolutely. That unity has to be built in Christ. At NOBTS and Level College, our mission is to prepare servants to walk with Christ, to proclaim His truth, and to fulfill His mission. If God's calling you to take your ministry a step further, let us help. Visit us at nobts.edu. So the two passages you mentioned, and I think it's helpful for us to think about preferences, because ironically enough, I think that's where a lot of church fights actually happen. But the second area that we you brought up was conviction, right? So you went to 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14. Just thinking through those passages, in 1 Corinthians 8, you've got this issue of food sacrifice to idols, right? Or maybe even specifically meat sacrifice to idols. And, you know, Paul says some people have the faith to eat the meat sacrifice to others. Some people have a weak conscience, and they're... they're destroyed by eating meat sacrificed to idols. You have Romans 14 where you have, you know, one day, you know, one person eats meat and one person only eats vegetables. You got one person prefers one day over the other or holds one day above the other. Uh, all these different sorts of things where in 1 Corinthians 8 and, and, and I think in Romans 14, you are dealing not just with preferences, but you're actually dealing with convictions. Yeah, I think that's right. So here, To just take the example of 1 Corinthians 8, the issue is somebody thinks that eating meat sacrificed to idols is wrong. Can we even say they might even think it's sinful? 
Correct. But the other person actually knows it's not. And Paul actually starts with this issue of knowledge, right? He says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So if we look at the area of, of not just preference, but conviction, you have a place where two people genuinely disagree and one person thinks they're right and one person thinks they're wrong, but it actually goes beyond the level of preference. So how might we think through some of these convictional issues? I think I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the First Corinthians 8, but I think it might also be true in the Romans 14 passage, and you might have to correct me there. But I think where, where, where the unity should be maintained here, it notice that the First Corinthians 8 issue is framed in the conversation of the brother of weaker faith. Mm-hmm. So if there's brother of weaker faith, there's brother of stronger faith, mm-hmm. right? And and listen, the, the, I'm going to say something, and you're going to say, yeah, but no one's going to admit to being the brother of weaker faith. But I think in the, in the, in the matter of conviction, the biblical principle, I'm still not calling it sin. Please, you're not hearing me call it sin. But the biblical principle seems to be that the brother of stronger faith out of deference for the brother of weaker faith will, for the sake of unity, but also maintaining their faith, will sacrifice their actual conviction at a time or preference, whatever you call it, for the sake of that one that is still growing and maybe doesn't know as much. And so in that way, how do we maintain unity when there's conviction on the line? Well, Charlie, I I think there's got to be and churches are made up of all different levels. There's got to be those in the church that we recognize to some extent as the mature, more mature in the faith. And we need to look towards them. And in, in these situations where it's not a gospel issue, a sin issue, we need them to set the pattern to say, look, this isn't a right or wrong. And we're not saying we would do this forever. But right now for these weaker brothers and sisters, we're going to defer. We're going to show deference so that their faith is not damaged. Now, maybe that's not the only way that we would need to respond, but I do think that is a principle clearly at play in like the First Corinthians 8 example. Yeah, I, I joke sometimes that First Corinthians eight thirteen is my least, least favorite verse of the Bible because Paul says, therefore, if food causes my brother to sin, I will never eat meat again. Uh, in order that I may not cause my brother to sin. And I'm like, well, that's that's a bit much, Paul, right? <laughs> but but I think you're right in, in a sense of like what Paul calls the stronger person to do is to show deference to the weaker person. And I think you see some of that in, in, in Romans chapter 14 as well, though Paul talks about both people there, right, the weak and the strong. Here's the problem that I think that we run into is, and I think you alluded to this already, most people don't go around thinking I'm the weaker person That's right. in this, right? So we come to, we're probably not dealing with issues of meat sacrifice to idols, but genuine areas of conviction, I don't know why these are the first that came into my mind, maybe because I've had to deal with them, whether it's somebody who says, how do you celebrate that pagan festival of Mardi Gras or Halloween or something along those lines, right? It is ironic that nobody in that situation is going around saying, I'm actually the weaker person here. (laughs) So I think to that point, if both people think they're stronger, then they should be showing showing some level of deference to To each other. That's exactly right. And that's what I was going to get to. And that's really how you have to have unity is both sides being willing to show. It's really hard to have unity when only one person is engaged in, in pursuing that unity, right? You actually have to have two people who are showing deference to one another. Several years ago, I think I remember who the pastor is that said this or wrote this, but just for the sake of not being wrong, I won't mention the name, but there was a pastor that was mentioning uh, this idea of not just preferences, but convictions at times, but not sin or right or wrong. And 
he was mentioning going into elder meetings. Mm-hmm. And he says, I always go in, like, we've got this issue we need to deal with. There's something, there's a decision we need to make. And he said, I always fought against. I'll make my case. I'll do whatever. He said, but I always fought again. And I, and I fought against and told myself, you don't have to get your way. And yeah. I would fight against not getting my, because the point wasn't getting my way. The point was biblically responding to the issue or mm-hmm. biblically leading the church forward. And he said, so I I would go in with these strong convictions of what that should be. And he said, but rarely did we come out with what I went in as my preference being what we decided, but I was always comfortable that what we did wasn't wasn't sinful and that it was honoring to the Lord. And he said that was the main thing. Well, isn't that the perspective that we should have, even if it's not elders meetings, just within the church and how we how we deal with one another, how we talk to one another, and, and certainly how we have unity with one another. Yeah. Paul, Paul says in Romans 14, 20, do not destroy for the sake of food. Uh, do not destroy for the sake of food the work of God, right? Um, there's a lot here, too, about just valuing the other person and more than than whatever the meat, for example, in First Corinthians eight. So I think it is a lot about how we prioritize people as well. I think one of the bigger struggles for me here in practical ministry has been. I kind of default at this point to say, well, okay, then the weak people just get to run the church, right? Uh-huh. Is, is that what ends up happening? And so I think there is a degree of wisdom to say a lot of this tends to be an interpersonal relationship, right. right? And so I do think what we can't do is just sort of shirk any pastoral responsibility and, and stop leading just because people are bucking back against us at every point. And, and I think that's just a really hard place for us to manage as pastors where we are saying, I think you're exactly right, going into meetings saying, I'm not here to get my way. I'm not pastoring so I can get what I want. But at the same time, realizing, you mentioned this earlier, that there should be some of those who are recognized as strong, right? right? And honestly, if if somebody is so much looking at the pastoral staff of the church and saying they're the weak ones in this situation, they probably really need to be rethinking through whether or not they need to be a part of that church, right? If they're not willing to, to submit in some sense to the leadership of the church. That's right. And I would even say to the larger body, if we recognize someone through a situation like this, that there's weak, where our job as the church and church leadership is not to leave them weak. Mm-hmm. To me, that should be a, okay, then what needs to happen here is some instruction, discipleship, and mentor. Like, we're we're doing that anyway, but hopefully I go, wow, we need to get some more attention here because, and maybe maybe they're not ready to hear it right now, but at some point we need to be able to say to them, look, what you were thinking here is actually not a sin issue, and and we need to spend some time with you because because we don't want to leave you here. We want to see you grow and progress in Christ-likeness. And you got to be careful how you say that. I understand that. But the other thing that I'm suggesting that it should do in this overall umbrella of unity is when we see the weaker brothers or sisters and however we have to deal with them right there, it should be our antennas go up and we go, we can't leave them there. Yeah. Well, and I think part of the issue is that in all of these circumstances, so let's take, you brought up the issue of translations before, right? Well, this can actually fit into all of these different categories here, right? So for example, it can just be a preference issue where, you know, I like this translation, you like that translation, and nobody really cares, and it's not a big deal, that sort of thing. But you and I both know in certain contexts, it goes beyond that, right? And you've probably seen as much as I have the 
NIV is an apostate translation from the KJV only, you know, whatever it may be, right? So that can actually, sometimes the translation issue isn't just a preference issue, but for some people it fits into the conviction issue, right? Where they actually have real convictions on the majority text versus, you know, whatever. We're getting a little technical there. Uh, So I think some of that is managing that to say our role in discipling people and I think this is the hard part for me because, quite frankly, I like to be right about stuff, is sometimes me having to come to the point where I just say, look, I need to let this one go. You know, not everybody has to agree with me on this issue. (laughs) And as a pastor saying, I'm just going to stop talking about this because it's not causing disunity in the church. I don't think the person's sinning. But I think they have a different conviction than me. I'd like to instruct them and in how they can be stronger in their faith. But ultimately, sometimes I think it comes down to us as pastors saying, this isn't worth arguing over. Um, but Paul even says in the beginning of Romans chapter 14, he says, as for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions, right? In other words, don't just welcome the weak person in so you can make an argument and try to convince them, but sometimes, no, welcome them, not for the sake of argument, but welcome them as a brother. Charlie, all this has been really helpful. One other thought, though, that comes to my mind that I think maybe we should address briefly before we wrap up is, so we've talked about sin versus preference, sin versus conviction, but the other thing, as we frame unity in light of discipline. The question might arise, so does that mean that every sin is therefore worth dividing over? Because mm-hmm. we talked about preferences and convictions aren't, and we have to have find out how to have unity in that. But what about sin? Any and every sin, is that worth dividing over? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, we may have touched on this a little bit last week, but I do think we, we, we may have talked about how in our day and age, we tend to have this all sin is sin. And there's some truth to that, right? All sin is violation of God's law in that sense, right? But even in the Old Testament, we do see a varying degrees of sin, right? We do see some sins that led to death. First John even talks about that. There's sins that lead to death, right? Which I think maybe as a reference back to capital punishment laws in the Old Testament. Um, and so, so what I don't want to do is treat sin lightly in the church, but we do want to recognize that as much as Jesus might say to to lust after someone is to commit adultery in your heart, I do think we touched on this last time to say it doesn't mean that lust and adultery are exactly the same thing either, you know? And so one of the things that I think if we want to have unity in the church, we have to be forgiving. We have to be gracious. I think of the story of the the guy who owed an insurmountable debt, and he wasn't able to pay it back. And so he goes and pleads with uh, the king who he owed the money to, and he forgives him the debt. And then he immediately goes to one of his servants or you know somebody else who owes him just a small amount of money, and he won't forgive him that debt. And Jesus is basically saying, that's what we're like when God has forgiven us so much and we won't forgive other people. I do think to genuinely have unity in the church, we can't fight over preferences. We need to allow for different convictions on certain things. But we also just have to be forgiving, and we have to understand that we are imperfect and that not everything that happens <laughs> is an immediate cause to go straight to church discipline, right? We we have to understand that we're still sinners, and I sinned this week, um, and we have to be as gracious and long-suffering with other people as God has been with us. Well, thank you so much. I, I, I do pray, as always, for our listeners that this was helpful. I, I think... 
I think this was good stuff today. Um, I'm not saying that from the standpoint of you and I said it. I'm saying that you're laughing. You're, I'm saying it because <laughs> from the standpoint of this is something we really do struggle with, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, we desire to have healthy churches, which means we want regenerate church membership. And so what does that look like? And then what does unity look like within that? It's an important question to discuss, yeah. and I think it's worth discussing. Well, and I, th- I think a healthy church is a unified church. Absolutely. Right? And, and I would jokingly say sometime in, in pastoral ministry, you sweep, sweep enough stuff under the rug, you can't walk around the room anymore, you know, because there's so much is that has been buried. And I, and I do think a large part of pastoral ministry as we wrap up here is knowing exactly that, how to build fo- and foster unity among a diverse group of people uh, who are pursuing Christ together. So with all that said to our to our listeners, thank you for being with us again today. And as always, we pray that you found this helpful, that you found it encouraging. I always say, Charlie, I pray that it spurs them on to the good work to which they've been called uh, to lead the body of Christ. So we do pray it's been helpful, and we thank you for joining us, and uh, we look forward to having you with us again next time. Thanks for listening. For more resources on pastoral ministry, visit us at faithfulpastor.com. And to learn more about training to become a pastor, visit us at nobts.edu.